0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would touch our mouth and touch our ears like you did this man in the gospel reading and open our ears to hear your word read and preached and open our mouths to proclaim the glories of the good news that you've given to us to announce. Give us your spirit. We pray to enable us to do these things. And we commend ourselves this morning to your love and care. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. I feel like we've come to the end of a long journey ourselves, not only through the book of Acts, but through this long sabbatical. For Father Ben returns on Tuesday, and we can all say amen. Yes. Maybe some of us more than others. No, it's, it's, been, it's been a wonderful time uh, over the summer. Uh, But we do come here to the end of our series to the book of Acts and uh, to the final passage of Luke's uh, recounting of the story of the church as the gospel moves out by them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And Acts ends, though, in a rather unusual way. Maybe you noticed it as Peyton read for us our lesson this morning. Paul finally arrives in Rome. This is a A journey for Paul that began way back in chapter 21 when he was initially arrested there in Jerusalem. And he spent two years in Caesarea. He finally catches a ship. He goes to Rome. He's shipwrecked. And finally he's in Rome in two years. He's waiting. And this is how the book ends. As readers, our expectation is primed for a conclusion that tells us what happened. What happened to Paul in Rome? What happened when he uh, appeared before Caesar? And the Caesar this time was Nero. And if you don't know anything about Nero, just know that he was kind of a little crazy in the head. There's no expectation about what might happen, but we'd all be wondering what in the world happened. You know, would he live on? Would he be seen as not a threat like every magistrate had seen him as? uh, Throughout the book of Acts, or would Nero just in some weird fit some morning say that Paul deserves to die and be killed? That's what we were expecting to find out. Something along those lines. What happened to Paul in Rome before his time with Caesar? However, Luke doesn't meet those expectations. He ends the book with Paul waiting. And we're a little unsatisfied by that ending, aren't we? We want to know what happens. It's the sort of ending that hooks you for another episode on Netflix. How many here are guilty of that? Yeah, okay. There's a lot of people here that can come for confession then. Um, It's the kind of ending that hooks you for another episode or hooks you for another season, or maybe even the sequel when it comes out. It's an unfinished ending. It's an open-ended ending. And where this might leave us desiring something else as far as the story goes, this ending has significance for us, and it has meaning. It's it's very significant, it's very meaningful for us as the church. And to understand the significance and the meaning of this conclusion, we have to return to the very beginning of Acts, to chapter 1, where Luke begins in chapter 1 with this. In the first book, O Theophilus, right, my gospel, the gospel of Luke, in that first book I have dealt with all that Jesus began, that's the key word, began to do and teach. Luke understands the narrative he's about to write to be a continuation, a continuation of Jesus's ministry, of his acts and his teaching. The church is going to be a continuation of the very ministry of Jesus, the spirit-empowered church. For Luke, the book of Acts is not primarily about the church or about the apostles, Peter or Paul, who dominate the two halves of the book. Acts is about Jesus. It's not so much the acts of the apostles as it is the acts of Jesus through the life of the apostles and through the life of the church. It is about the risen King Jesus continuing to speak and act in and through the lives of his spirit-empowered disciples. And that story did not reach its conclusion with Paul in Rome, did it? And Luke wants to be really clear that it didn't. It continues on past Paul. It continues on in every generation of the church because that story ultimately is unfinished right now. It hasn't reached its conclusion today. It continues to be played out in your life, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, in your work and vocation, in your job. Wherever you find yourself in this city, that story continues to be played out in you. Jesus continues to act and to speak through you when you submit to his spirit. So while Acts ends in an unsatisfying manner as far as stories go, the profound reality of its conclusion is that the story Luke tells of Jesus continues on in you and me. It continues on right here at Christ Church in our lives. It continues on in every church where we have people who embrace the good news about Jesus and are submitted to the Spirit. So I think we can agree that this ending is significant if we carry on the very life of Jesus We continue to act and speak for Jesus in this world. That's significant. That's meaningful because Jesus has called us to be a part of his cast in the drama of his life on on this planet. And that gives our lives ultimate significance, ultimate meaning. You wake up one morning, what do I do today? Well, whatever you do, you do this You speak and you act for Jesus. You are a Christ-bearer in this world. That's our mission as Christians. That's what we pick up from Paul as Paul is waiting in Rome. And I hope you already begin to sense this, the great responsibility we have to do just that, to bear Christ, to be living embodiments of Jesus in our world, right in our neighborhoods, in our communities. In every aspect of our lives, to bear the good news about him in our deeds and in our words, wherever we find ourselves. And this is exactly what we see throughout Acts. We see the church, we see Paul, the apostles, Peter, we see them proclaiming the good news wherever they happen to be. Whether it's in the courts of the temple, whether it's fleeing persecution in Samaria, whether it's Paul before... Folks in a synagogue or in the Areopagos or in the marketplace or before the Mag- Roman magistrates throughout this, wherever they find themselves, they're proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And so as we come to the conclusion of Acts, which is really just the beginning of the story for us, and as we come to the end of this summer series, I want us to be really clear about what the good news is. I've been saying it over and over again, the good news And I don't want us to end without having clarity about what the good news is. So what is it? What is it? I hope by now you at least know the shorthand that I've been saying over and over and over again every week. The good news about Jesus is, one, that he is alive from the dead. Let's say that, that he is alive from the dead and that he is king in heaven over all the earth. Let's say that, that he is king in heaven over all the earth. That's the gospel given to us in the book of Acts. That's a shorthand, right? Paul spends, what, a whole day from morning to evening expounding that very thing, the good news about God's kingdom and Jesus. It's just a shorthand. There's so much more that goes into it. And this is exactly the, the shorthand that we see Luke ending with. Again, listen to verse 23. From the morning till the evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. And then also in verses 30 and 31, he lived two whole years at his expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the very kingdom of heaven that is coming on earth. We pray this every week when we pray the Lord's prayer. What do we pray? Your kingdom come, On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom that does have a king. We saw Jesus in the first chapter ascend into heaven and take up his throne at the right hand of God. And he rules now in heaven over all the earth as king of God's kingdom that is bursting forth on the earth. That's the good news. That's the good news in a nutshell. It's about Jesus and God's kingdom. But now we need to unpack that shorthand a bit here as we end this series. Because I want us to end knowing freshly in our minds what this good news is, that God commands us, that Jesus commissions us to proclaim in word and deed in the midst of our lives as we continue this work of Paul and as we continue the ministry of Jesus. And I want to do this by using Acts 26, verse 18 as kind of a lens uh, to get at what the good news is. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there you can just listen to this. This is Paul recounting what Jesus says to him on the road to Damascus as he encounters Jesus in that blinding experience of Jesus' glory where Paul is converted to Jesus, where he encounters Jesus and embraces this good news. This is Jesus speaking as Paul recounts. I am sending you, Jesus says, to open their eyes, and he's referring to Jews and Gentiles, so that, one, they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may turn, so they may repent, repent from darkness, repent from the power of Satan to turn to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So they may receive forgiveness of sins. So turn to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And not only that, but that they may also receive a place. And this is where I, I just, it just, I love this bit about the gospel that we often sometimes overlook. It's not just the forgiveness of sins that we receive. We've received a place with those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus and by a place, the word here is something that refers to an inheritance. We receive a home. We receive a place among all those who are heirs of God's kingdom and joint heirs with Christ, as Paul says in Romans. This is the good news. This is good news, that Jesus has made it possible for us to return to God, our Father, and for us to come back home. Jesus has made it possible for us to return home and to be in fellowship with our loving creator God. Each person at a deep level, at a profound level, is homesick. Every culture has a concept for being homesick, for having homesickness, for desiring and longing to return home. Maybe in in high school or in college, in in a class you read the Odyssey. And Odysseus longs to return home. His journey lasts 10 years on his way home to see his wife and his children. And that's after 10 years of war. 20 years he's been away from his home. Every culture has a significant concept of what it is to return home. And that desire that when you've been separated from home, separated from family, you return there. And the joy of that return Though many of us would never exactly say that our condition in this world is one of homesickness, we all nevertheless long for our true home with God, for a place where we are truly at peace, a place where we are secure, a place where we are known, a place where we are loved, a place where we come to know ourselves truly as God knows us, as God knows us. We desire for a place where we find ultimate meaning and fulfillment we desire to find a place a home where we flourish isn't that that what we all desire, isn't that why we go out and and get a job to create a home, because we all long for these kind of things, we all long for safety we all long to be loved, we all long to be known and the Bible tells us that that longing, that desire for all these things is ultimately not a desire for these things in themselves, it points beyond them to our desire for God our Father, our Creator, who made us for Himself. Though each person longs at the deepest level of their being to return to God and come home, they are unable. You are unable in yourself to return to God. You are unable, the world is unable to return to God and to return home because they live in darkness ignorant of the God for whom they long and unable to see their way back home. Isn't this what Paul told the folks in the Areopagos? You have an idol to the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. You don't know him. You're ignorant right now. You're displaying your ignorance by worshiping these things that you have made. God has been gracious to you. He has set up the boundaries of your kingdoms, their beginning and their end, so that you might grope after him in your darkness for he is not far from anyone. Even more, each person is held captive by the power of Satan, shackled to the ways of searching for their ultimate home with God and all that it promises, true love, identity, meaning, belonging, peace, ways of searching that never actually return one home, ways that always lead to death in the end to exile from home and alienation from god our father you see our own sinfulness has led us into such darkness and captivity as jesus tells paul every person is that prodigal son if you remember at all back to luke chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son each person is that prodigal son who demanded his inheritance no matter no matter what his father desired he demanded his inheritance all the benefits of his home regardless of his father. The prodigal son turned away from his father and left to pursue his own desires. He broke fellowship with his father and that's what each one of us has done with God. We want the kingdom of God. We want the benefits of God's kingdom. We want justice and peace. We want flourishing lives. We want fulfillment. We want to be loved. We want to be known in the most intimate and ultimate of ways. We want that. Yet we want those benefits apart from the one who can give them to us. Each person is born in sin and alienated from God. And apart from the work of Christ and God's grace, each person is turned and turns away from God to follow after his his or her own desires, right, without regard for God. One professor I had years ago used this image. We like as children hop up into our father's lap to slap him in the face. We have to use him and his benefits to live and move and be. But we ignore him. We disregard him. This is the plight of humanity. This is the plight of our world. We are out of fellowship with God. Our relationship with him is broken. And as rebels alienated from God, his wrath and curse lie upon us and upon the created order. And we know that. Whether or not we like to talk about wrath or God's curse, we know it. Because since the garden, we live in a world filled with suffering. And I think this week here in Winston, we experienced it as a community with the senseless killing of this young man. Ever since the garden, we live in a world filled with suffering and disease, poverty, Racism, natural disasters, war, aging, and death. Am I describing our world? Are, are, I mean, are we in any kind of delusion that we live in any other world but this one? Marked by these things. And it all stems from the wrath and curse of God on humanity and on the world. The world is out of joint. It's turned upside down and we need to be rescued. That's the ministry of Jesus. He comes He comes to rescue, to restore, to renew, to put back together, to make whole. But the root of our problem, the root of our problem is none of these horizontal relationships that we obviously see the fracturing, the suffering, and the pain day in and day out, either in our own lives or the lives of others that we see. The root problem is not in these relationships, It is in our vertical relationship with God, our creator, our father. All human problems are ultimately symptoms and our separation from God is the cause. The reason for all the misery, all the effects of the curse, is that we are not reconciled to God. We're not reconciled to our father. We're alienated from him. And like the prodigal son, we live in a distant land, far away from our father and far away from our true home we live in darkness held captive by the power of satan this is the world that jesus is born into this is the world that desires whether it knows it or not in this moment desires to hear good news and this is the good news That Jesus came to us in the midst of our darkness to set us free from our captivity and to make a way for us to return to God. He came to us in the midst of our trauma, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our guilt and shame. He has come to us to set us free from it all. To restore us, to bring us home again, not just back to the garden, but to a place that's far much better than the garden. Is that proper English? Far much better? You know what I mean. Jesus desires to bring us back to the Father. To connect us back to the source of life on this earth, the Creator, our loving God, and He desires to bring us home as co heirs with Him of God's kingdom. That's the good news. But how do we receive it? Jesus is really clear to Paul on the Damascus Road. This is how we receive, this is how we are to respond to that good news, this is how we are to embrace the good news. It is to repent and receive. Repent and receive. And this is what Jesus tells Paul. The way back to God is through repentance, a turning away from darkness, the darkness of self-directed living and to the light of the world. That is Jesus. It is turning away from the allurement, the allurement of the power of Satan to a loving father who gives us all that we need. Again, like the prodigal son, we must turn away from that distant land, we must turn away from that distant land that has not satisfied our ultimate longings. And in that moment of clarity, that that son, he has a moment of clarity there in the pig pen. In that moment of clarity, we understand that our ultimate desires have always been for home. They've always been for the father. And so when we repent... We return to God. We start that journey back home. We set our face towards home, towards heaven, towards this heaven that is coming on earth, and we return to God and we receive. What do we do? We receive two things in that act of turning to God, repenting. We receive forgiveness of our sins, and we receive a place, an inheritance, a home. The forgiveness of sins that we receive means that we can be in the presence of God without fear of condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is one of my favorite verses in in that kind of magisterial book, letter to the, the Roman church, where Paul says, There is now no condemnation, none whatsoever, none, not one bit of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of sins means that we receive God's presence without fear of condemnation, without fear of wrath, without fear of judgment. It means that we become full members of God's family, received again, just like the prodigal son, received again to the father, received again to the family. And Jesus made this possible through his death on the cross, where he bore the full wrath of God in our place, And God demonstrates that He accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf by raising Him from the dead and exalting Him as King in heaven over all the earth. And that's why each week I say, What is the good news? It is that Jesus is alive from the dead. He has made it possible, possible, for us to be forgiven to be received back into the Father's family without any fear of condemnation. And we receive this forgiveness by faith in Jesus. And that means a complete reliance upon Jesus, that he is the one, and no one else, not even ourselves, that he is the one who makes us acceptable to the Father. He is the one who makes us acceptable in God's sight. He clothes us with his own righteousness in place of our guilt And he clothes us with his own honor in place of our shame. That's what Jesus does. That's good news. The forgiveness of sins is that we receive by faith in Jesus. A restored relationship with God. Reconciled to the Father. This is good news. But guess what? There's more. What's behind curtain number two? There's more good news. This is the beauty of of the gospel. It's not just that you have forgiveness of sins. That's the entrance into a fullness of life, to eternal life. But that eternal life itself is a part of the good news. We not only receive forgiveness, we are not only reconciled to the Father, but we also receive a place, a home, an inheritance, a place to belong and be known and be loved and be accepted. Not only by God and Jesus, but by his family, the church. Jesus' resurrection and ascension has now opened up a way for us to enter and receive God's kingdom as our inheritance. Jesus has made it possible for us to enter in and receive the kingdom of God God's kingdom is the place where all those broken, horizontal relationships that we see and hear about, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others, day in and day out, God's kingdom is the place where all those broken relationships are restored. It is the place where true justice and peace can be experienced. It is the place where life truly flourishes, spiritually, physically, and socially. It is a place where our most intimate relationships are nurtured. It is a place of rest. And it is a place where we can experience shalom. There's no English word to capture what that is. Wholeness. Peace. It is the place where we truly experience home. And we can receive and experience this place now. That's what the church is doing all throughout the book of Acts. It is a living embodiment of God's kingdom now as an advanced sign of what the earth will one day be full of. The kingdom of God. People who have all things in common, who are sacrificing their goods for the sake of others. People who practice forgiveness among themselves as an advanced sign of the kingdom, as a sign of a world that one day will only be marked by forgiveness, only be marked by reconciliation. The church embodies that world now and it does so because of the Holy Spirit that we have received as a down payment, as a guarantee of that future. This is exactly what Paul declares in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In Jesus, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we have full possession of it. And we see glimpses of this homeland. We see glimpses of our inheritance, glimpses of the kingdom of God and the life of the church when we embody the life of Jesus, when we continue the story. You see, this is the good news about Jesus and God's kingdom that is proclaimed from the beginning of Acts when Jesus does what in verse 3? What does Luke record? Jesus, to his disciples, is demonstrating that he's alive from the dead because you know what? That's a hard thing to believe. Is that easy for anyone to believe? That someone can be raised from the dead? okay i didn't think so it's a hard thing to believe so jesus spends some time with his disciples like i am alive from the dead i'll eat with you you know i'll drink with you i'm here he demonstrates that and what else does he do he speaks to them about what the kingdom of god from the beginning to the end the book of acts is about jesus's ministry to bring the kingdom of god through his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven that's what this book is all about. That's what our lives are to be about. By the Spirit's power we are to embody the life of God's kingdom now as those advanced signs of its arrival, but that in itself does not fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us. We must also announce the good news, not just embody it. I've talked a lot about embodying Living out deeds that proclaim the good news, deeds that call forth speech, as Leslie Nubikin often would say in his writings, "But there does come a point in time where you have to announce the news. News is not news unless it's announced, proclaimed, heralded. It's not fulfilled by just embodying a new life. We must announce that, that new life is available to others and to all. And I know it can be scary. I know it can be, I'm scared at times. I know it can be scary, but begin where people are. Begin where you find people. Begin with their symptoms, those broken, horizontal relationships. Begin there. And over time, in love, announce to them the good news about Jesus. Jesus. He's alive from the dead. He's made a way back to the Father. We can receive forgiveness of sins, and we can come home. We can go to the place and can experience the life that God has always intended for us. In love, announce that Jesus has entered into their brokenness already, into their trauma, into their darkness into their loneliness to offer them a way back to God and to their true home where all things one day will be made new, where we will all find belonging and love and a family. Jesus is with you, church. Jesus is with you. He's with you through his spirit. So do not be afraid. Go out and announce this news with all boldness and without hindrance. Announce it to your neighbor's Announce it to your co-workers. Proclaim the kingdom of God and the good news about Jesus. And pray to the Father for all that you need to do this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.